Baptist, John the Baptist, uh, how he came into the world, how he uh, entered into the world, uh, the message that he preached. We looked at the interaction uh, between he and his disciples. Today we're going to look at the baptism of Jesus. Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. Then Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan, coming to John to be baptized by him. But John tried to prevent him, saying, I have need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answering said to him, Permit it at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he permitted him. And after being baptized, Jesus went up immediately from the water. And behold, the heavens were open. And he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and coming upon him, and behold, a voice out of the heavens saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Let's pray. Father, what a wonderful picture we see of baptism. We are buried with Christ in death, raised with Him in resurrection to walk in new life. Lord, may this morning, may you speak to us about the baptism of Jesus. May you speak through your infallible word to our hearts. May your Holy Spirit convict us of sin, reveal to us the need for obedience. Lord, may you, through your Holy Spirit, touch our hearts, that we may leave this place knowing that we have heard from the Almighty God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We talked about the last couple weeks that John's gospel, I'm sorry, that John's entrance into the world needed no introduction. As John enters into the world, that, that when we look at Matthew, as Matthew begins, he introduces Jesus. And he introduces Jesus with a whole lineage that this is Jesus, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then he gives us, he gives us generation after generation after generation of, of who Jesus was. And then in chapter 2, when we're introduced to John, it says, oh, by the way, this guy John came into the world and he came pre preaching a gospel of repentance, preaching repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And it gives us no introduction of who John is. Why? Because John's ministry was so unbelievably popular that John needed no introduction and the the sheer fact that jesus in verse 13 goes out to john goes out to the ministry of john to be baptized by john again speaks to the overwhelming popularity of john and his and his message and his ministry in fact, earlier in chapter 3, it tells us that all of the inhabitants of Judea, all of Jerusalem, and the actual language in the Greek literally gives us the idea that everybody, every person that lived in the entire area of Judea had at one point in time gone out to hear the message of John the Baptist. And so here in verse 13, it again speaks to the popularity of John and his ministry. Verse 13, then Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan and coming to him to be baptized. But I want us to notice John's response. Look at verse 14. But John tried to prevent him saying, I have need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? 
John's default is always humility. Remember last week we looked at John's response to Jesus, I must decrease and he must increase? John's default was always humility. Even though at that point in time there was no preacher, there was no ministry that was more successful than John the Baptist. He didn't drive a Cadillac. He didn't preach in a a fancy suit. He didn't have a, a, a fancy building or wonderful facilities. In fact, he clothed himself with camel's hair. He ate locusts and honey. He had a leather belt around. It tells us who and what he looked like, yet he was the most popular preacher in his day. But I believe his humility was because he realized his purpose. His purpose was communicated to him that, that he was to prepare the way for the Messiah. He was called with a specific purpose to prepare the way. He said that, in fact, I, he, uh, look back at chapter, uh, look back at chapter 3, verse 3. For this one, this is the one who referred to him by Isaiah, saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And so verse 3 tells us John's purpose. John understood his purpose, and because he understood his purpose, he was able to, to live in humility. Now, Jesus comes to John, and it's interesting, Jesus comes to John, and John's message is to repent and turn from our, turn from our sin, repent and believe. Now, Jesus coming to John speaks volumes to us. I want to first point out what it does not indicate. It does not indicate that Jesus was in need of repentance. Jesus was fully God. He was deity. He was righteousness embodied. He was the personification of the word of God. In John chapter 1, it says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father. The scripture talks about how how Jesus was the very embodiment and the fulfillment of all of the righteousness of God. So don't think that, that Jesus coming to John was in any way a statement that Jesus was in need of repentance. But what it does communicate is it validates and gives credibility to the ministry and the message of John the Baptist. Remember John's message. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And we looked very we looked in great detail at that message repentance, at that message repent, and we remember that that repent was the first words out of John the Baptist's mouth in preparing the way for the Messiah, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We also looked at the ministry of Jesus, and the first words of Jesus's ministry in Mark chapter 1 was repent. And we looked at the message of Peter after Pentecost And as Peter is presenting the gospel, he gets to the conclusion of his gospel and he says, repent and be baptized. And so this this idea of repentance is consistent throughout all of the gospel. It is essential to the gospel. So what does repent mean? We looked at it very in depth the last couple weeks. Repent comes from the Greek metaneo, which means to change one's mind or to change one's perception or way of thinking. And so as Jesus goes to John to be baptized, he is giving credibility and validating the message of John the Baptist that there was a need for all people everywhere to repent, to change their mindset, to change their way of thinking. Why? 
because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. There is a new king and we must change our way of thinking and align ourselves with the new king and the new kingdom. Quit thinking the way we once thought. It is not about the land. It is not about the law. It is not about the Levites. It is not about the priesthood. It is not about the temple. It is not about keeping in righteousness. Change your way of thinking. There is a new king and a new kingdom. My kingdom is not of this world, is what Jesus said. So Jesus is going to John the Baptist. First and foremost, it validates and gives credibility to the ministry and to the message of John the, of John the Baptist's message. Secondly, it demonstrates a humility in Christ. Jesus identifies with our need. Jesus identifies himself with our need. And his greatest identification of our need comes to a climax with the cross. Whenever the scripture tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that God made him who knew no sin to become sin, that we might become the very righteousness of God in a very real, tangible way, Jesus identifies with the need of humanity and that identification of humanity comes to a climax at the cross but all throughout jesus's human life he is constantly identifying with humanity god in his great wisdom and in his great sovereignty sent the son into the world as a baby he was born into poverty wrapped in dirty cloths lied laid by his mother after his birth in a feed trough visited by peasants jesus identified with humanity all throughout his birth all throughout his his early childhood his his he he learned to read and write he learned the skill of carpentry probably by his dad he was a human in every sense of the word. He ate, he drank, he slept, he went to the bathroom. He experienced humanity and all of the, the, all of the limitations that comes with humanity. He had to learn to walk. He had to learn to talk. He had to learn how to interact with, with people. Yes, he is God in the flesh, but he is but he is 100% man and he is human. And the Hebrews chapter uh, Hebrews chapter 4 tells us and Hebrews chapter 4 tells us that he identifies with us and we we do not have a high priest who cannot identify with us, but we have a high priest who identifies in every way that we are yet without sin. That Jesus identifies with humanity. Not only does Jesus, does, uh, look at the way Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. As Paul is writing to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 9, he says it like this. He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, rich in glory, rich in, rich in wealth, rich in everything, he left heaven and came down to earth. Though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor. That through his poverty, we might become rich. Philippians chapter 2, verse 6 and 7, we see Paul speaking very, 
very poignantly about Christ. And he says this, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with a thing to be grasped. And he emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant, became in the likeness of men. And so as Jesus is baptized by John, he humbles himself. Something interesting to note, that not only does Jesus identify with humanity, but the location of Jesus' baptism is a, is a, a particular interest to the humility of Jesus. The lowest geographical point on the face of the earth is the Dead Sea. The river that empties into the Dead Sea flows from the Sea of Galilee, which drains the mountains north of Galilee, and the river flows from the Sea of Galilee into the Dead Sea. That river flows in the geographical place where the Jordan River enters into the Dead Sea is geographically the lowest place on the surface of the planet. Where does Jesus go to be baptized? To the Jordan River. He literally goes down from the highest of height to the glory in heaven, to the precipice of all of creation in heaven, and he empties himself and comes down to earth, and not only down to earth, but down to the lowest possible place and identifies with humanity. So if you say, God doesn't, he doesn't know what I'm going through. God, you don't know where I've been. Yes, he does. Not only does he know because he's God and he's omnipotent, but the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Isaiah says that he is a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. As Jesus entered into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, as he overlooked Jerusalem, knowing that in just a few days I'll be crucified, he wept bitterly. As he agonized the anticipation of the cross, he, he sweat great drops of blood as he cried out, God, let it let this cup pass from me. As he watched his friend Lazarus die, he showed up four days late and he cried, Jesus knows what you're going through. He can identify with humanity. And as Jesus identifies, as Jesus goes to John the Baptist to be baptized, he is a very tangible, practical way for him communicating to humanity, I know, I understand. One of the most difficult things as a pastor is to do funerals of individuals who've died in a circumstance or situation that is tragic or that is unexpected. You have parents that lose children, children, young children that lose parents, husbands and wives that lose spouses uh, in, in early in life. And there's a temptation to say, I understand what you're going through. But unless you've lost a spouse, or unless you've lost a child, or unless, unless you've experienced that, you can't say, I understand. Jesus can say, I understand. He has in every way been tempted, in every way experienced every trial that we could ever go through. 
yet without sin. Jesus identifies with humanity. Not only does Jesus validate John's ministry, not only does Jesus being baptized demonstrate a humility and identify with humanity, but Jesus' baptism was a willingness to be obedient looking forward to the purpose of God. Flip over, if you will, to Mark chapter 10. For us, whenever we are baptized, we are baptized looking back. We baptize understand, we're baptized understanding that it is an outward expression of an inward faith of what Jesus has done. That he died on the cross, he paid the penalty for my sin, and my faith in Jesus, my faith in his death, burial, and resurrection has purchased for me eternity. And so whenever we are baptized, we are baptized into his death, we are raised to walk in his resurrection with a newness of life. Jesus' baptism was not a baptism looking backwards at something that has been done, but Jesus' baptism was a baptism looking forward to that which would happen. Mark chapter 10, verse 38. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism which I am baptized with? Now, it's a very real possibility and a probability that all of Jesus' disciples had been baptized by John. Many of Jesus' disciples were at one time John's disciples. So, Jesus says, are you willing to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? He's not speaking about the baptism in the Jordan River, the baptism of repentance. What he is speaking of is clearly the cross. Are you willing to drink the cup that I am going to drink? As he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he asked the Father, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. What is he talking about? He's talking about the cross. Are you willing to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? What's he talking about? He's talking about the cross. Jesus' baptism was a willingness to be obedient even to the point of death, to fulfill all righteousness. All righteousness culminated with his obedience to the point of death. Philippians chapter 2, 8. And he emptied himself, becoming obedient, even to the point of death. Therefore, God highly exalted him and has given him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in earth, under the earth, and in heaven, and at the name of Jesus every tongue should confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What was it that caused God to exalt him to the name that above every name, to exalt him to the highest place? It was his unbelievable, humble obedience, that he became obedient even to the point of death. And as Jesus is baptized, he is looking forward to what God has called him to, to the cross to bearing sin, to enduring the wrath of God, to dying in my place and in your place. What's interesting is the response of God. Jesus identifies, he he validates John's ministry, he identifies with humanity, and a willingness to be obedient looking forward to what the to to all that that entails, God responds. Look at Matthew chapter 3. Jesus said, verse 15, Jesus said, Permit me at this time 
For in this way it's fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And he permitted him. And after he was baptized, Jesus immediately coming up from the waters, behold, the heavens were opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and coming upon him. And behold, the voice of the heavens saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. It's interesting that here in Matthew chapter 3, is one of the few times in all of Scripture where we see all aspects of a Trinitarian God simultaneously. We see the Son embodied. Jesus standing in the, in the Jordan River. We see God the Father speaking, Behold, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we see the Spirit of God descending in the form of a dove upon Jesus all three persons of the Godhead demonstrating in their, in their distinct functions and distinct roles. Now, what does that mean, preacher? I don't know. But I know it's there. I know we got all three persons of the Trinity. I know we have God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. I know that they, they, that they serve distinct roles and distinct functions, yet they are all 100% God. I know that they all have personhood and have identity yet god is one and the moment you wrap your brain around that and 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 you figure it out please write a book i'll i'll, I'll co-author it with you and we'll 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 be famous but we see here in matthew chapter 3 a a very clear depiction of the trinity but i want us to notice a couple of things in the response to god the heavens open up as if as if god the father peels back the clouds and looks down upon his son in all of the glory of god and then we see the spirit of god descending upon jesus in the form of a dove now i want to make sure we understand the dove was not the spirit of god but it was the spirit of god coming down in the form of a dove and then we see the voice coming from heaven. This is my beloved son. As if when the spirit of God descending upon Jesus, it was as if God is communicating that everything from this point forward is completely consistent with what I have called Jesus to do. Now, not that Jesus had been inconsistent with what God had called him to do up until this point, but up until this point, he had been living his life in a very private manner. In fact, in John, whenever Mary asked Jesus to perform a miracle at the wedding feast at Cana, it was before his baptism, and, and John somewhat, somewhat rebukes his mother, saying, it's not yet my time. My time has not yet come. But here it is a clear communication that when the Spirit of God descends upon Jesus, that this was the beginning of what God had called him to do, that he was beginning his ministry, and everything from this point forward would be in concert with the purpose that god had called him for this marked a clear distinction in the life of jesus there was this moment before his baptism and this moment after his baptism and the statement that came from the father this is my beloved son and whom i am well pleased most scholars believe that that is a it is a reference to both psalm 2 verse 7 and so Isaiah chapter 42, verse 1. 
Psalm 2 is a clear messianic statement that the Jews would have heard. Because remember, the book of Matthew is written by whom? Matthew, and it's written to the Jews, and it's written to portray Jesus as the son of David. So Jesus is being portrayed as the son of David. And so whenever Matthew writes, this is my beloved son, calling to reference Psalm 2, which is a clear messianic psalm. David the psalmist wrote Psalm chapter 2 with the idea and, and, and with the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that this is speaking of the Messiah. And, but Isaiah chapter 42 is speaking of the suffering servant. Something that the Jewish mind would have never equated with the Messiah. Because the Messiah was a conquering king. The Messiah was not a suffering servant. And so for God to say, this is my beloved son, the Messiah, in whom I am well pleased, who will suffer. That was foreign to them. That blew their mind. Why would the Messiah suffer? It doesn't make sense. Repent. Change your way of thinking. There is a new king. It is not of this world. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is my beloved son. This is the Messiah in whom I am well pleased, who will suffer. Change your way of thinking. It's interesting to note, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, was said before Jesus had done anything. Do you realize that? He hadn't preached a sermon. He hadn't healed anybody. He hadn't performed any miracles. He hadn't walked on water. He hadn't cast out any demons. He hasn't done anything. Jesus, God said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Church, God is much less concerned about what you do and so much more concerned about your heart. God saw the disposition of his son, knowing that he is willing to be obedient even to the point of death, and he will demonstrate that by his life. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that God does not want us to demonstrate our faith by how we live. James said it like this, you show me your faith apart from your works, I'd show you my faith by my works. Faith will always demonstrate itself in how we live. But God's pleasure with the son was not, was, was not focused on what he had done, but was focused on his disposition, his willingness, his heart. And as we get into the Sermon on the Mount, we will see that God is not concerned with the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law. It's not about how far you walk on the Sabbath. It's about your heart on the Sabbath. It's not about how much you give it's about your heart of generosity. He said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Yet Jesus had not accomplished anything. But he had a disposition and a heart to please God. So here's my question to us this morning. What is our disposition toward God? If God were to look down upon your life, if he were to peel back the clouds, and if he were to look into your life, 
would he say, this is my beloved child in whom I'm well pleased? Not because of what you've done. Because we've all failed. We've all made mistake after mistake after mistake. If you don't believe me, follow me around for a few minutes. I'll show you a life riddled with sin, riddled with mistakes, riddled with failures. Watch how I talk to my kids on Sunday whenever we get home, whenever they, don't, whenever they, they run in the house and they, they get naked on the way to the, 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 the bedroom and there's a trail of clothes and socks and shoes and I'm, I'm screaming as we, as, as, as we enter the door, pick up your socks, pick up your shoes. Hang around me on the ball field. Sometimes I lose my cool. But when God looks at your life and he sees your heart, does he see a disposition that desires to serve him? Or does he see a disposition that desires to serve self? That desires to fulfill my own pleasures, my own heart? my own wants. If that's the case, repent. Change your way of thinking. There's a way that leads to death. There's a, the Proverbs, uh, the psalmist Solomon and David both said it like this, there's a way that seems right to man, but the end thereof is death. Change your way of thinking. Align it with the king. He who wishes to save his life will lose it, but he who loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. My kingdom is not of this world. Are we aware of God's purpose for us? John was keenly aware of God's purpose for him. Jesus was keenly aware of God's purpose for him. And they were willing to humble themselves and become obedient even to the point of death. What is your disposition? When God looks at your life, are you, are, are you responding to God? God, I'll be obedient so long as blank. Or is yes, Lord, I'll be obedient. What is your disposition to God? You know, the scripture is very clear that we all come into the world broken, sinful, in need of a Savior. But the message of the gospel is that while we were sinners, while we were haters of God, Romans chapter 5 eight, God demonstrates his great love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And if we will place our faith and trust in Jesus and in Jesus alone, we may have eternal life. It's not about what we have done, but it's all about what Jesus has done. Perfectly fulfilling the righteousness of God that he can take our place. This morning you're here. And maybe, maybe you've never trusted Jesus. Maybe you've been trying to be religious. You've been trying to be righteous in and of yourself. Isaiah says our righteousness are as filthy rags to God. I'm inviting you this morning to repent, to change the way you think. Understand that you cannot be good enough for God and fully trust that Jesus was. Maybe you're here this morning and your disposition has been to please yourself 
And you know that if God looked at your heart, that he would see that rotten, wicked disposition. And you desire to have a disposition that pleases God. Repent. Change your way of thinking. Align yourself with God and his desires. Maybe you're here this morning. And you were reminded that Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed me white as snow. Just a few moments, we're going to sing a hymn of appeal. As we do, if the Holy Spirit has spoken to your heart this morning, may you respond. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you that Jesus saved sinners of whom I'm the chiefest. That he identifies with us in the depth of our depravity. That though my sin be as scarlet, he makes it white as snow. God, I thank you that you looked at me when I was in the depth of despair and I was in the depth of sin and you loved me anyway. So much so that you sent Jesus to pay the penalty for my sin. If that's you this morning and you've never invited Jesus to be your Savior, we invite you to do that this morning. Maybe this morning your disposition has been to fulfill yourself, to satisfy your own desires. You've trusted Jesus. You know that He is your Savior but you've allowed idolatry to creep into your life. If that's you this morning, may today be the day of repentance where you change your way of thinking and you align yourself with the King. Maybe God is calling you to be a part of what He's doing at this local body here at Redeemer. Whatever the Lord is speaking to your heart, may you find yourself obedient. In Jesus' name we pray.